Well, let's dive into it today. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into the book of Mark. Um, so if you haven't been here with us for the last five years, I have been preaching on Mark little by little for the last four years, I believe. And uh, so currently we're in Mark chapter 10, and we're going to begin today in verse 13. Um, I did not plan this, uh, this well, but the way it's going to work out today, you're going to understand why this is pretty cool. Um, so I began writing this message on Tuesday. No, I wrote it all on Tuesday. And uh, so we're going to talk, we're going to actually go through two stories today in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. Verse 13 says this, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. So what you can picture is Jesus is ministering to people uh, out in public and people are all around him. And uh, he's speaking and the disciples are with him, obviously, because the disciples are always with him at this point. And uh, he's already called them. They're ministering with him. And uh, parents begin to bring their children to Jesus. And they want Jesus to bless their children. Now, what you have to understand is that this is not unique to Jesus. Uh, this is something that parents would do with rabbis in the time. So parents would bring their children to the local rabbi, and they would ask the rabbi to pray over and bless their children in their life. Okay? Now, Jesus is ministering to people, and parents begin to bring their children and say, Jesus, would you just bless my children? And the disciples take this attitude of Jesus is above that. Like, no, 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 no. You see, we've got, we've got some adult things to do. We're doing some adult work here. You keep your kids away. Um, Jesus doesn't like this. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus doesn't like anybody being looked down upon. And so Jesus, in verse 14, he sees what's happening, and he becomes angry with his disciples. Now listen, that word angry is holding back. Jesus is irate. He is looking at this situation and going, how dare you misrepresent me to everybody? Why? Because Jesus cares about the little ones, and he cares about everyone. Everyone. Jesus cares about every single life. Oh, look. Look at this. Every single life, even the little one in the womb, Jesus cares for and has a plan for and will provide for. Listen, people are worried about what's going to take place. What I'm excited for is I've been praying for revival, and I just may believe I just may believe that God may use this to use his church to provide for needs in ways that have never been seen before. Jesus cares about every individual life. All the things about, uh, you know, I'm just going to take a side note because, you know, Roe v. Wade overturning. Uh, did you not know that outside of Mary, the first individual to ever respond to Jesus' presence was in the womb? It was John the Baptist responding to Jesus. Why? Because that's a child. That's a life that God is at work in. Okay. So Jesus is angry with his disciples because he says, nobody is less than everybody is able to receive my hand and my blessing. He says, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. 
I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. You see, Jesus is angry with his disciples because in this moment, not only are the disciples looking down on children and thinking of them as less than, which by the way, was consistent with culture. Jesus is anti the culture. The culture says children and women are less than. Jesus says, no, I'm going to empower women. I'm going to bless children. I'm going to give them purposes and plans in my kingdom. It's anti-culture. It's the kingdom culture. He's changing the way that people look at life. And so Jesus is angry. He says, let them come to me. And not only are the children not less than, but the children have now become an example for the adults. He says, unless, unless you have faith like a child, unless you can receive Jesus like a child, you're not going to get it. Why? Because there's something about childlike faith. We've all seen it. The awe and wonder of a child in a specific moment. Maybe it's your own child. Maybe you're watching a video online of a child just being amazed and in awe and willing to receive that which is theirs. You know what's amazing? Um, think, I'll put it this way, receiving like a child. Um, when Christmas time comes, children expect to receive something, right? Um, you know what was fun was this past Christmas, uh, I acted like I didn't have a gift for my wife and she was okay with it because I'm a grown adult and she's a grown adult. And I said, hey, I'm going to get you something, but I'm not going to have it ready by Christmas. She's like, okay. Christmas morning comes. I get to surprise her. I pull out the KitchenAid. And she's just blown away. But you know what my children would do? If I, t- <laughs> if I told them I didn't have presents for them on Christmas morning, they'd be upset because a child is willing to receive at any moment anything that you have to offer them. Now, I'm not talking about the food that they won't eat, right? I'm just talking about (laughs) gifts and things that are good that are going to minister to them in that moment. And so when when Jesus says, hey, like a childlike faith, he's, he's saying, listen, as adults, we have to earn everything coming our way because it's built into our human nature. But what Jesus says is, listen, if you can't just receive like a child, then you'll never receive me. Because I am freely giving you an opportunity for forgiveness and salvation. You don't have to earn it. You have to be willing to receive it like a child. You know what I love about my, my, my kids? They'll, they will. They'll just receive and receive love. Not because they think they've earned it, but because they love it. They appreciate it. You know, the other day... Caleb was, uh, it was actually yesterday. Uh, for those of you who don't know my household, um, you know, we have structured time as a family and then we have like free time as a family where my kids can kind of be creative and do whatever they want. Julie loves it. I hate it because it means the mess is coming. Um, <laughs> but it also means my children are developing the way that they should. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, but yesterday, uh, Julie hadn't slept well the night before. She picked up her dad from the airport whose plane got delayed, what, like five times? 
Yeah, it got, just got delay, 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 delay. So she got home around 1 a.m. She slept like four to a half hours the night before, Friday into Saturday. I said, hey, babe, we'll run into the church Saturday morning. We'll knock everything out we need to. Uh, we'll go home at lunch. I'll bring anything I need to get done. You can rest, and I'll keep the kids. So we go home. We eat lunch. And she goes upstairs to rest, and everything's fine. And then Caleb just takes off. And I'm like, oh, no, I've told you, don't bother your mother. Like, leave her alone. She's exhausted. She's tired. So I knew that Julie wasn't asleep at this point because it hadn't been that long. And I texted her. I said, hey, is Caleb bothering you? She goes, no, he's not bothering me whatsoever. I don't know what he's doing. I was like, okay, well, I'm too tired to move. So it's either going to be, a, it's, <laughs> this could be really bad, but um, we've dealt with really bad before. It's going to be okay. And Caleb comes down, this, comes down the stairs and he's holding up this piece of paper. And it's just covered in paint, covered in paint. And I'm like, oh, no. And he says, Daddy. I'm like, yeah, what's up, bud? He goes, I drew this picture. And I, show, he, I painted this picture because I, I wanted to show you what I've been thinking about and learning. I'm like, okay. You understand, it's just like this, like, it just looks all black. <laughs> okay. And he goes, Daddy, so I, I painted... I painted red on this paper, and then I just tried and tried and tried to cover all this red with this black. And no matter how much black I put on this, the red is constantly shining through. And it's kind of like God, because God will never be able to be defeated. And no matter what the darkness throws at God, God always wins, and he will always shine through. And I thought, buddy, you don't know what you're doing in this moment, but daddy's about to preach. <laughs> and in that moment, I just thought, this eight-year-old gets it in ways that we as adults sometimes aren't willing to accept. Why? Because we think that nothing's going to change. Everything's always going to work against us. But instead, a child looks at God and says, God, I believe that you are always victorious. That's actually what he said. He said, God always has the victory. That was literally word for word what he said. And I was like, okay. Church, that's childlike faith. And we need a little more of it in our life. To be willing to accept and believe what God has spoken. So one of the things I wrote, uh, Jesus, uh, just throw up the next slide so I don't forget it. All right, Jesus has plenty of time and resources for every life. That means a child who is willing to receive it and you as an adult who may struggle with it, he has plenty of time and resources for every single individual life as well as the ones to come. You know, I mean, I hate talking like this. Caleb was not a planned child. Those of you who don't know this, he was not a planned child. We made $15,000 a year. That was it. And then my pastor did some math poorly and said, we're going to give you a 72% raise. It was not 72%. <laughs> it was not 72%. And so we, you know, we're in this unique position with that. And, and then we had, we go to one of his ultrasounds and they basically tell us like your child may have spinal ambipeda. 
and you sit there in the office and you're just like, I don't understand what is happening, what is going on. And then sure enough, a doctor comes in later and says, your child's head is big. He's going to be okay. If you know Caleb, he has a big head. <laughs> but in that moment, I look at my child and I go, I don't know how we're going to afford this. I don't know what's going to happen in regards to his health. I don't know what's happening in any of these areas. But I have to trust and believe that God's got it. And if you know Caleb, Caleb is a huge blessing in our family and in our life, obviously, as I just described. And the more and more he grows, the more and more I get excited. I did make a statement the other day. It wasn't true, uh, but it was in the moment because uh, the other two were annoying me. I said, Caleb's my favorite child. Um, it's not true, but in that moment it was because the other two were whining and screaming. Um, so then Jesus, what he does after this moment is we're going to get to this next story. So we have, we have this kind of thought over here is that Jesus has plenty of time and resources for everybody. Chloe, can you bring my mic down just a bit? Um, and so he's, he's doing this. And then he begins to work his way towards Jerusalem. And this is, this is the journey to Jerusalem where he will be betrayed and handed over and hung on a cross. Okay, this is that journey. He begins to make his way, verse 17. As Jesus was starting on his way, to Jerusalem, a man comes running up to him, kneels down and asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question, right? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. That would be you must not lie because you don't know. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. So Jesus begins his response to this man. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he begins with saying, hey, why in the world are you calling me good? Only God is truly good. Now we hear that and we go, I don't understand. Isn't Jesus God? Yes. Jesus in this moment is confirming his divine nature that he is good to this man as he is speaking that to him. So we throw that now to the side. But then what Jesus does is very interesting because Jesus knows how you receive eternal life. But what he begins with is just listing commandments because Jesus knows who this man is. He understands this man and where he's coming from because this man wants to know what he must do right? He wants to earn it. So Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, you know the things you got to do, and he begins to list them. Sure enough, the man responds, teacher, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. I feel like all of us have been here before, where we feel like we just, we've done all the right things, but for some reason, I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not Fool, I don't feel content. I'm doing all the right things, but I, I just feel like I'm missing something. That's where this man is. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now, some of you are like, oh man, we're about to talk about money. Partly, but no. 
You see, the man's done all of these good things. He's done everything he can to earn his salvation, but he knows because he senses it in his spirit, I am not there. I have not attained. And the problem is it's not that he hasn't attained, it's that he hasn't received. And so what Jesus then turns the corner on him and says, hey, if you want this, what you need to do, what you need to do, is go and sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Now, Jesus is talking to this individual man and says, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. Give the money to the poor. Does this mean that Jesus is looking at you today and saying, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor? No. What Jesus does, he knows who the man is, he has genuine love for him, and he recognizes that this man holds his identity and who he is in what he has. So he says, you're not in fellowship with me. You're in fellowship with your stuff. You're not following me. You're looking at your stuff. So you have to get rid of your stuff if you want to follow me. You see, for some people, that is money. For some people, Jesus would look at you and say, hey, like, you need to give some of it up. For some of you, it's control. For some of you, it's just like, I need to have a hold on every single aspect of my life. Everything needs to be scheduled. I need to make sure everybody's in line. I need to make sure my job, everything is perfectly aligned. And if that's okay, then I'm okay. But if that falls apart, I'm not okay. Why? Because you're in more closer fellowship with your schedule and in control than with Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus says, you need to surrender control. For some of you, it might be an individual. And you go, if this person's happy, I'm happy. If this person is doing well, I'm doing well. But what happens when that person's not doing well? I'm not doing well. And so Jesus says, you need to trust me with that person and give it to me. That mean, and that person might be a child. That person might be a spouse. Now listen, you all know I love my wife. I do everything I can to make her happy. But I'll tell you what, if Julie wakes up and is having a bad day, I'm not going to have a bad day too. Now sometimes it will because she just wants to drag me down with her. But, but the truth of the matter is my life is tied to Jesus more than it is to my wife. And one of the things I tell my kids all the time, listen, daddy loves mommy more than you but daddy loves Jesus more than mommy. Why? Because I want my children to understand the order of which my love and the order of which my priorities lie. Now I'm commanded by God to love my wife and surrender and lay down my life for my wife, so I continue to. But my first tie is to Jesus Christ himself. Am I making sense right here? Okay. So, he says, I've made all these commandments. And now you, you see the response of the man when Jesus says, hey, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. His face falls. Why? Because he knows that his identity is in what he has. And Jesus says, you need to lay down who you are and trust me with your life. And I'm not going to lie to you. This isn't easy for anyone because of that very reason. If it's tied to who you are, 
that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to lay it down. We can all relate to the rich man here and say, you know what? Some of you are like, I have no problem giving. I give all the time. I give, I get 50%. I know people who literally, I was on the phone with somebody the other day and they're like, I got to raise what I give. I currently give about 25% and I got to go, I got to raise it. And I'm like, whoa, you're crazy. But if that's what God's calling you to, okay. Then there are people who are like, ain't no way I'm giving more than one. And then there are people who are like, I have no problem surrendering control. I already know I'm not in control. My life is a mess anyway. So Jesus, I trust you with it. And then there are people like me who are like, no, everything has to be in line. Everything has to work. Everything has to fall in place. And then when something doesn't go the way I want it to, I just go, well, I blew it again. And so what Julie has constantly had to remind me of, and this is why she's an amazing wife, is in those moments in the past where I used to go, I cannot believe that this happened. I cannot believe that this fell apart. Why in the world is this happening? She goes, Jonathan, is this, are you in control of the results of your life or is God? You preach it all the time that God is in control, but you tend to live and believe like you are. That's what a good wife will do sometimes, right? Just call you out and make you feel a little uh, not great. <clears throat> and so over time, I've had just said to be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Now in the moment, I'm like, that's not cool. Like, you can keep your mouth shut or go somewhere else. But because I'm a man who thinks and processes, I normally walk away and go, yeah, she's right. Jesus asks us to lay things down and surrender to Him. It might be our control. It might be our job. And that doesn't mean you quit your job. That means you trust God with your job. Right? Now, God has asked me to quit a job before. Right? Uh, I came from a church of 800 to 900 people. I came from a church where... There were more, there were, I, I left a youth group this big. Like my youth group had 50 to 60 people in it. And God said, no, it's time. <clears throat> I led ministries of small groups where I had hundreds of people who were directly under, I'm sorry, I had small group leaders who led hundreds of people who were directly under me that I had to oversee. I led worship at this church, not all the time, but enough that people were like, I love when Jonathan leads worship. Like I, I've, I've done things. And God said, all right, I want you to walk away now. I've been working my butt off for two years here. I want to see the fruit of my labor. Nope, it's not for you. You need to walk away. I had to do that twice. You know how fun that is? To think I'm never going to get to see the fruit of my labor. I thank God that I've been here over five years now because I'm beginning to see some fruit. I thank God that I truly believe that he's spoken to me that I'm going to be here for decades. <laughs> That's what I believe, right? I'm thankful for that. But that didn't begin here. It began with me saying, God, I'm going to surrender my job and my position and trust you and your plan. Some of you, it might be your finances. And it might just be, I need to I need to control my finances because I I don't I don't believe what God teaches in His Word. 
Again, for some of you, it might be a person that you just your identity is tied to an individual. And for some of you, it's your dreams. Anybody else been here, right? You want to see something happen so bad. You know, I believe it's Proverbs. I believe it's Proverbs. Solomon writes, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, you know, you have these dreams of what you want to see happen and want to see happen and want to see happen. And it doesn't happen. It just makes you literally physically sick. And Jesus says, hey, you need to trust me with it. You need to trust me with your life. You need to trust me with your job. You need to trust me with your finances. You need to trust me with that individual. You need to trust me with your dreams. Because I assure you that God's plan for your life is bigger than your own plan. And God cares about that person more than you care about that person. And God is in more control than you are in control. And so what God does with this rich man, and he says, hey, the very thing you find your identity in, I need you to actually trust me with it. And the man walks away sad because he says, I can't. But to every believer, he says, you need to trust me with everything that you are. And the thing is, you fill in the blank for your life, right? Because we're all unique people with all different personalities who all have different things that we have tied ourselves to. And what Jesus says is, listen, my yoke, my yoke that you will be tied to in surrendering yourself to me is easy and my burden, which you have to carry, will be light. That's what he says. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So walk in trusting Verse 23, so now the man's walked away. Jesus looks around and says to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when he's saying this for us, he would be saying, it is easier for an elephant to walk through uh, the eye of a needle because what he's doing is he's using the largest animal in the region. That's what he's saying. And so for them, it was a camel. He's saying the biggest animal and creature that you can think of walking through the eye of a needle. It's easier for that to take place and for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. It's not going to happen. There's not a single person on this earth who's going to be able to save themselves, but not with God. Everything, everything, everything is possible with God. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, listen, this rich man thought that he could earn his way into eternal life in heaven with God. That's what he thought he could do. He followed all the commandments, but he knew there was just something else he needed to do. And Jesus said, it's not about what you do. It's about who you trust. It's about, do you trust me more than you trust yourself? That's what Jesus is doing in this moment. So when he's saying, hey, it's harder for a rich man, it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than, I'm sorry, it's harder for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. What he's basically saying is, people with a lot of money think they have a lot of control, okay, if you haven't noticed this, the ultra-rich people think that they can control a lot of things. And sadly, our government lets them. But that's beside the point. Don't shut me down, YouTube. So anyway, <laughs> so what happens is these people who have lots of money think that they are in control of their life and their destiny. And so what Jesus says in this moment is it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because a rich person is unwilling to surrender control. 
because they trust themselves more than anyone else. So when he says, with humans, it's impossible, but with God, it's possible. What he's saying is, a person who fully needs to be in control of their life at all times, they're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they can't trust anybody. A rich person will never enter the kingdom of heaven if they need to be in control. Why? Because they can't trust God if they can't trust anybody but themselves. Anybody else have a control problem? I think we all do. I mean, we'd all want, we all might not want to admit it, but we all have some kind of control problem. Whether well, you want to control your children, you want to control, your, control yourself, right? Which we should have self-control, but you want to control things all the time. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. Jesus says, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Oh, he just had to tie that in there, didn't he? And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be greatest then. So Jesus says this, hey, for those of you who are willing to surrender, who are willing to trust, who are willing to give up, I assure you that Jesus has abundantly more to give you in replacement of what you have surrendered. This is the law of sowing and reaping. Over and over again, all throughout the scriptures, with Jesus, you see the law of sowing and reaping. Those of you who are willing to sow trust with, into Jesus and believe that he's going to take care of you, well, guess what's going to happen? He's going, you are going to reap a harvest based on what you sow. Now, we always reap, reap later than we sow. So some of us, we quit sowing too soon. We go, I've been trying and I've been waiting and it just I haven't seen God come through for me yet. Don't quit. I am now on the other side. I am now reaping a lot of things that I have sown for a decade plus. I am. And guess what? It's amazing. Don't quit. The problem that we have is that all too often we look at our timeline and we go, God hasn't shown up in the last few weeks, last few months, or in recent years. I assure you, God, God's going to show up in small ways until the perfect moment comes, and then he will just shock you with an abundant blessing that you need in that very moment. Why? Because his timing is perfect and his plan is perfect. But what Jesus also says here, following, I'm sorry, not following, but tied with that blessing will come persecution. He says what? In this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I have overcome the world. In the midst of your persecution, God is able to bless you. Understand that. Understand that. You will be persecuted for your faith. If you have, I said it in pre-service prayer. Um, I was looking at news sites this past week and because um, it's fun, you know, it's not fun. I hate it. I saw this one article on this protest, and this one guy was holding up a sign, and it literally said, forgive me if you are not okay with letters, but he said, I don't give an F what the Bible says. And I thought to myself, I already know you don't. 
You see, people are going to look down on you and they are going to curse in your face and they are going to hate you because you are a follower of Jesus. Because you are one who walks in the light and who walks in the truth, darkness will do everything it can to smash you out. But I assure you, if you continue to walk with Jesus, if you continue to surrender to him, if you continue to trust in him, God will always shine through the darkness. He will provide for you in the midst of your persecution. And even in your darkest, deepest valley, God is able to protect you and help you endure through it and provide for you in the midst of it. But the problem is when we walk into our deep, dark valley, we normally quit. People, I'll tell you right now, because everybody, everybody I don't care who says, this, it's a lie if you tell me you haven't thought this. In your deepest, darkest moment, you don't want to come to church. Am I wrong? You wake up, you don't, you wake up you're having a, you've been having a terrible week, and you think, I just want to stay home. In your deepest, darkest moment, you don't want to pick up the Bible. In your deepest, darkest moment, you don't want to throw the worship music on and pray. But I assure you, the greatest thing you can do when you're walking through hell is keep on walking. I go back to the Walking in the Dark series back in January of 2020 before we knew all of this crap was going to hit the fan. If that's a bad phrase for you, I'm sorry. I'm just nailing it today, aren't I? I said crap, though, you know. Um, I preached on this series entitled Walking in the Dark. And for those of you who weren't here, I'm going to remind you or tell you for the first time, maybe. When you're walking in dark seasons and circumstances, there's a few things you need to do. What do you do when you walk into your tunnel? You turn your lights on. You let the light of Jesus guide you through the tunnel. You ask the Holy Spirit to lead you as you are walking through it. The other thing you do, you maintain your speed. You don't slow down. The very disciplines that have carried you this far in life, you maintain them. You keep going to your Bible. You keep praying. You keep going to church. You don't quit. Because if you begin to slow down in a tunnel, you're going to be cause a traffic jam or an accident. So you maintain your speed. And the other thing you do in a tunnel, do you remember the last thing you do in a tunnel? Anybody remember? Yell. No. You stay in your lane. You stay in your lane. Why? Because when you're walking through a tunnel, all you want to do is look to the left or the right. Anybody ever been in a tunnel and think, man, I wish I had been in that lane? We've all been there. I didn't see the semi-truck before the bend, but now I've turned the corner and now I'm driving 35 miles per hour through this tunnel. I'd rather be driving 45. I want to get out of this tunnel. No, no, no. You stay in your lane. Because when we begin to compare the tunnel or the journey of the people to our left or our right, all we will do is get depressed and frustrated because I want to be out of the tunnel now. But Jesus has a purpose for the tunnel. He has a plan on the other side of the tunnel that he's leading you towards. So when you're walking through your dark seasons, you maintain your speed, you turn the lights on, and you stay in your lane. And even in the tunnel, as we just read, Jesus will provide for you. I'm going to read it one more time because it's just so good. Jesus replied, I assure you, Everybody, just this is one of those things you can take home with you. I assure you that everyone, he doesn't say some, everyone who has given up house or brothers 
or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Church, don't quit. He'll provide, he will lead, he will protect. He has enough resources and enough time for the littlest child, and he has enough for you as well. And his plan is perfect. So surrender the thing that you hold on to and say, Jesus, I'm going to give you everything, but I'm going to keep you here. No, 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 no. When we're willing to surrender and say, Jesus, I give you my life, that's when he begins to move powerfully. Last part of it. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be greatest then. You know, one of the things I used to think when I was younger in ministry is I wanted to be somebody. Um, somebody. I wanted, to, I wanted to pastor the church of 900 people myself. I wanted to work at the network office. I wanted to, I wanted to work at the national office. I wanted, I wanted that. And now as a 32, oh man, my birthday's about to happen. That's why I paused. Now as a 32-year-old man, soon to be 33-year-old man, I go, Jesus, I just want to be obedient because I've learned that in my obedience, there's more joy than wishing I was in another lane. And Jesus, I trust you that though there may be people who look down on me for serving in a small town in Bethel, I know how you look at me and I trust that you will honor my obedience and my faithfulness in this position. God has you where you are for a reason. Don't look down on where you serve. Don't look down on where you live. Don't look down on what you do. Instead, instead serve faithfully and honor God in what you do. Chloe, throw up that last slide for me. God flips things in eternity. He flips them around. So that though people look at you now and you're like, you're a nobody from Bethel. <laughs> well, guess what? I'm big in the kingdom. You may not know my name, but the creator and sustainer of the universe does. And he looks down on me and he knows my faithfulness and he knows my obedience and he knows me by my name. And he goes, that's my child. That's my son. I am proud of him because he is walking in the path that I have laid out for him. And guess what? He looks at you and says the same thing, but you must choose to surrender yourself to him. Is that my last slide, Chloe? I just want to make sure. Throw it up. There you go. The last thing we're going to talk about is this, is the altar. Uh, worship team, you can come. So the altar in the Old Testament was this place that, you know, we all know it. They would bring animals and sacrifice them. And that was the animal blood would, would take and cover over the sin of the people. And so what happens when Jesus dies on the cross is Jesus' blood just doesn't just cover over, but it wipes out the sin of mankind and those who are willing to accept and walk in his ways. So we choose to repent and we choose to walk with Jesus. And what he does is his when we ask him for forgiveness of our sins, he does, and his blood washes that away. Okay, that's the symbolism of the altar. So the altar in the Old Testament, we would lay down, we would offer a sacrifice for our sin, or they would offer a sacrifice in praise to God. But Jesus, with his blood, has already made a way for those things to be abolished. 
And so now what Romans teaches us is that we are, we are now the living sacrifice in how we live our lives. And so the altar, which here in our church, we refer to the front here as an altar, right? And so what we do with the altar is we don't look at the altar as a place of judgment because it's not. It's a place of freedom. When a, when a person, when a Jew in the Old Testament would lay down a sacrifice on the altar, God wasn't looking at them and condemning them. He said He would look at them and say, okay, you're now clear. You're free. And the same is for the altar today. It's an opportunity for us to lay down burdens and sins, and it's an opportunity to lift up in praise to God for who He is. So one of the things I'm going to do today, because of the way it worked with the sermon, is we're going to start seeing the altar open at the end of service. Okay, and this is the way it's going to this is the way it's going to work. And I'll say this every week. If you just want to pray by yourself at the altar, you don't want anybody to bother you. Go beyond the corner. Okay, so these two little indents here, where I think a piano and an organ used to be, where they jut out that corner. If you want to pray and be by yourself, you pray out there. If you want to pray and you're okay with somebody laying a hand on a shoulder, you can come all the way up and put your feet up against or kneel at the front here. If you want a pastor or an elder or or deacon to pray over you, just stay a foot back, like two feet back from the steps so that we can stand in front of you and pray over you. Does that make sense? Simple enough. If you want to be left alone, go beyond the corners. If you want to pray, but it's okay somebody lay hands on you, just come to the middle. And if you want prayer for something specific with somebody praying over you, just stay two feet back so somebody can pray over you. But the main premise today is this. This is why I love the way that the authors wrote the scripture. Trust Jesus with your life. Surrender to him that which you hold back. Trusting that just as Jesus has enough time and resources for every child, he has it for you as well. Let's pray. And when I say amen, the altars are open. If you need to lay something down or you need to lift up, it's available. Holy Spirit, would you be with us as we sing this song of reflection? God, would you help us to surrender to you, to trust you with our lives so that we can see your hand bless us abundantly in the midst of every dark tunnel and season in our life. In name I pray. Amen. Amen. There's a calm